This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back in to the Lions 24 7 podcast. Happy to be with you for episode number two of this first week of December 2023. I know we promised a lot of transfer portal talk on this episode earlier in the week, but going to postpone that just a bit. We're going to have a big Friday bonus episode. We'll break down the latest in the transfer portal, where Penn State's offers have gone, who has entered the portal from the Nittany Lions, and what we're making of the next few weekends where official visitors are going to be starting to make their way to Happy Valley out of the transfer portal. So a lot coming your way Friday. Hang on for that one. But big news of the day here on Thursday is... Manny Diaz, and is he about to make his move back to head coaching? I'm going to bring in Daniel Gallon in just a moment to address all that, but stick around beyond that discussion because we've got one of the top members of Penn State's 2024 recruiting class set to return to our show. It's Luke Reynolds. He's been on the podcast before. He is the number one tight end in 24-7 sports national ranking, so pretty big deal around here in terms of what Penn State is looking ahead toward in that position room he'll be on campus as a nittany lion next month as an early enrollee so a lot to catch up with luke reynolds but as i mentioned we begin with daniel gallon and daniel there has been plenty of smoke around manny diaz and this duke vacancy for the last couple of days and now kind of crescendoing it seems several reports from national reporters including some of our best year in 24 7 sports that Duke has targeted him as the guy right now. And a decision is expected within the next 24 hours. Rarely do things last much longer than that when you hear that things are this close between two parties. Maybe Pat Kraft is trying to make some some last-ditch plans here. Maybe Manny Diaz is listening to another school. But Duke right now is the focal point. And Daniel, obviously, Manny Diaz has earned his way back to the head coaching ranks if he chooses to do that. And you've got to look at Manny Diaz's decision from a few different perspectives here as he faces the possibility of remaining with Penn State as defensive coordinator and moving on to run his own program. Definitely. I, I think when you start to see these reports come out about someone being targeted, you know, whatever euphemism uh, that, that people want to use, uh, it's kind of, it, it's almost a press release. It's just kind of only a matter of time um, until the actual thing hits. So we'll see what happens in, in these next 24 hours, but I'm not that surprised that I think we got to this point with Manny Diaz. I am kind of surprised at some of the surprise that people have about Diaz potentially taking this job. Um, I think we've seen some chatter on our boards, on social media about 
know, what the Duke job actually is. Could Manny Diaz do better, et cetera, et cetera. But I think from where things stand right now, I think that over these past two years that Diaz has proved himself to be a very worthy head coaching candidate. Um, he's put together two very, very good defenses, uh, an elite defense in 2023. He's had the opportunity to work under someone like James Franklin at a program like Penn State. And I think that if you're James Franklin, this is kind of what you want to see. You want to see your coordinators and your assistants get promoted. He's talked about that a lot. He doesn't want to lose guys to lateral jobs. Um, but if someone has the opportunity to move up to get promoted, I think that that presents a, a healthy program out there. So I, I think that there's a lot of angles that we can look at this from, but I think from where Manny Diaz stands right now, I mean, there's only so many of these jobs that are available out there. You don't know what things are going to look like next year. Um, so if you get these chances, you kind of have to really consider them and, and really take them. And then on top of it, something else I've been thinking about is that you know, we don't know what Manny Diaz actually wants in a job. You know, we've asked him before uh, as Penn State defensive coordinator about head coaching jobs. And you know, what he said is pretty much that, you know, he's happy being a defensive coordinator. As things come up, he'll look at them. Um, and so, like, he's never told us, I want this type of job. Um, and I think that in some of the jobs that have opened up this cycle, some of the bigger ones like Texas A&M, you know, we haven't seen him linked to that type of job. I think we saw him linked to FAU last year that went to Tom Herman. So I, I think that from where things are, I think it kind of makes a lot of sense. And given what we've sort of seen, this sort of seems like it might fit what Manny Diaz has been looking for. Um, so you know, we'll, we'll see from there, but, you know, I think the kind of, I think we'd been kind of waiting for one of the shoes to drop in, in either direction. And I think we're almost there from where we are right now. And of course, Manny Diaz was a name that, that came up to an extent last winter coming out of a, a strong first season as Penn State defensive coordinator. But you knew that considering the numbers that were put up, the top total defense, uh, the fact that, that he was a semifinalist for that Broyles Award. And, and just we got to put this on the table because it may not be obvious to a lot of listeners. And maybe it is uh, by this by this point through two seasons. But Manny Diaz absolutely exudes head coach vibes. I mean, he is a guy that whether you're across the across the room from him or whether you're watching him on the field or you're on a Zoom call with him, you're like, yeah, okay, he can definitely be the face of the franchise. I mean, some coordinators are amazing. They are great at what they do, but they're going to fall flat in that interview, the final one that's going to determine whether they are going to be the face of a program. Manny Diaz has a lot on his resume and includes – running a program and something that he did say to us a few times is how much he enjoyed getting back to the basics as a linebackers coach, as a defensive coordinator, being around your guys on a daily basis, rather than having to float around as a CEO and put out the occasional fires and having to check on all phases of the game. But this is a guy who has paid his dues as a defensive coordinator. I mean, he's got stints at middle Tennessee at Mississippi state at Texas at Louisiana tech at Mississippi state at Miami and at Penn State, all as defensive coordinator since 2009. And you talk about the one opportunity he had to be a head coach at this level in this hometown where he was a high school star, where his father was the mayor of Miami. You know, it was all felt like it was set up so well. But I think at this stage, it's hard to judge individual coaches on what they do with the Miami Hurricanes because it's a two-decade track record of coaches coming there and not fulfilling the expectations. And they got another one doing that right now who they paid a lot of money to replace Manny Diaz. So 
I don't know what to make of that. I'm certainly uh, was expecting many Diaz. He has never shied away from, from our conversations with us that he has aspirations to get another shot as a head coach, but he has phrased it in much of the way that James Franklin has phrased it. It's got to be the right opportunity. And this goes beyond Manny Diaz. He's got a family that every, you know, there's a lot of things that are going to be involved in decisions when you have a family. It's not a, a solo act. Um, but I think you also have to acknowledge for as much as people say, well, Pat Kraft, just give him a blank check. You know, Mike Elko was making $3.5 million base salary, from what I understand, at Duke um, before he got a big pay raise to move forward. I mean, just starting there with that number, uh, that I, I, that's huge. I mean, that that is way beyond what any you know defensive coordinator is getting paid as far as I understand at the college football level. We talked about giving Andy Koldelnicki a four-year deal, as Audrey Snyder of The Athletic reported, that, that ends with $2 million uh, as the salary in year four. So what would that mean for, for trying to keep a guy like Manny Diaz around as your coordinator? And so I think that's where maybe there's a, some some disconnect among the fans out there where, one, it's a lot of money that you just have to try to match a guy and say, don't go run your own program, stay here and be def defensive coordinator. We'll make sure your bank account doesn't feel the impact. There won't be any difference. But you're also taking the ability, as much as he may love the guys in that defensive room, as much as he may love his boss and James Franklin, and as much as his family might even love this community after living here for a couple of years. I don't know that one way or the other, but there is a chance now where you get the keys and you get to define what the program looks like on a daily basis. And you get a chance to really accelerate the career paths of some of the guys who have been good to you by then rewarding them with a spot on your staff. And you can start to make something. Maybe you take some some things that you observe from James Franklin that you did. Maybe you leave some of the stuff in Coral Gables behind that maybe didn't work in Miami. And now you apply that. This is a guy that's going to be 50 years old come next September when Duke kicks off his season. And if he's the head coach, he would have every opportunity and a platform, I think, to if he finds success in that role, the stepping stones are right there in front of him. And he's getting everything that he could have wanted out of that post fire move from Miami and coming to Penn state and then pivoting himself back to the head coaching world. I think that when you talk about, yeah, let's give him the blank check. Let's back up the Frank truck to keep him in, in state college. I mean, I think that it gets overlooked sometimes how competitive these guys are. I mean, a lot of these coaches are former players. They've been in the trenches um, this is kind of the the area where where they've been developed. Um, and I think that that shines through sometimes in, in how they approach things. And, um, you know, they're competitive. They don't like to fail. They want to prove themselves. And I think that you, especially you look at how Manny Diaz's career has gone. Um, I, I, you know, he never really came out and say it, but I think that you can read between the lines a little bit that he wants another shot. He wants to be able to prove himself. Um and I think we've seen people kind of pointing at Miami as a reason why, um, you know, he failed there. So therefore, um, you know, he's not a good hire at Duke. I think that you really have to put some extenuating circumstances uh, around that situation there. Um, I think in, in two seasons, Mario Cristobal has already lost more ACC games uh, than Manny Diaz lost in, in three seasons. Um, that situation is just really, um, I think, kind of messy. And also, I think you look at Manny Diaz's career trajectory, like he wasn't supposed to be the Miami coach uh, in you know, that in 2019. I mean, he right. was going to be the Temple coach. He was going to go on the stepping stone path where you had Matt Rule go from tempered Temple to Baylor. Jeff Collins goes from Temple to Georgia Tech. I think that you could have looked at it like Manny Diaz goes from Temple and then eventually Miami. Um, things kind of got, you know, all shaken up. Um, he ends up at Miami maybe a little bit earlier than some people expected him to. 
Um, and I, I think from my, our interactions with him, you can really see that he's someone who really internalizes a lot of stuff, learns from everything. I think the way that you see him, you know, use his defenders, use his players, I think kind of speaks to his own personal philosophy and, you know, kind of figuring out how to make things work. And so I think that what happened at Miami, this experience at Penn State, um, I, I think that it kind of, it definitely probably revamps things a little bit for him in, in terms of how he looks at things. Um, I think you can also look at it too, like the Duke job. I mean, you've seen Mike Elko have success there. David Cutcliffe have success there. It, it's the type of job where you, know, you can show up, you can build the program kind of how you want to. Um, you can find different levels of success. And I think that you can just kind of keep things on schedule. Um, and I think that you know, there's a different level of pressure there. Um, it, it's just sort of a, a different type of job that I think at this point in Manny Diaz's career might appeal to him because he's already done the fishbowl thing. Hometown hero going back to Miami, um, kind of a, a dream job, destiny type scenario. So um, I, I just think that there's all these factors that go into it beyond like, well, you could just pay him $4 million to stay at Penn State. You could just, you know, why would you go to Duke? Why would you go to a mid-tier ACC job? I mean, I think that these guys want to go up. You know, they want to run their own programs. And this is what you work for in this profession. I mean, you don't necessarily work to be a defensive coordinator. Even in talking about Andy Kotelnicki, I mean, the kind of the the writing is there that he wants to be a head coach at some point. Um, so it's kind of the you want to get to the mountaintop. You only have so many opportunities to do this. Manny Diaz is getting a second chance. Um, which can be pretty rare. Um, and we've seen some coaches do really well with second chances. So I think that there's a lot that goes into it. But I, I think that um, if you're a Duke fan, I mean, I think that the way things are going, you should be pretty excited about how this could go. And there's no doubt to me that if Manny Diaz is introduced as Duke's head coach, he's going to win that press conference. He's going to win over the Blue Devils fans. Uh, he's got that head of hair that, that you know, people love Coach K for all that time down there. He's going to fit a lot of what I think they're looking for. And he's got to go win games. But we'll make this really apparent. This is not the same Duke team that David Clutcliffe took over back in 2008 when they were 1-11, 0-12, 1-11 years before Cutcliffe. Now, he had a little bit of a you know, up-and-down career when it, you know, 13, 14 years there at Duke did Cutcliffe, but they went to five different, uh, six different bowl games. They finished one of those seasons ranked, and, and now you've got, under from Mike Elko's time, a team that won nine games in 2022. They won seven games in 2023. So I know people are kind of looking at this a little bit cross-eyed and saying, this is the opportunity that Manny Diaz is leaving for. Well, this is a team that's gone to back-to-back -back bowl games. It's not like, you know, the, the, the cupboard's bare. And I think we're now in a point where is Duke a, a team that's going to be able to brush off Texas A&M from staking its head coach? No. Is Duke a team that's going to be able to brush off Penn State's of the world from taking their head coach? I don't think so. But this is a, a moment right now in college uh, athletics where a lot of ADs, including this Penn State one, and, and the, the presidents of these universities are really having to look in the mirror and decide, are we all in on football? Because it's going to the train is speeding away from us if we're not. That goes to the NIL stuff that goes from presenting competitive salaries to head coaching candidates or coordinator candidates. We saw what it took to get Andy Kotelnicki here, at least in the financial department. And so I think when, when you look at that and, and what Duke may be bringing to the table might be more than what you could anticipate, because these are just these are really interesting times. And if you do not invest in your college football program, especially if you're not one of these power two conferences right now, what it feels like and Duke's not there, 
And then you could really, really see everyone speed past you in a hurry. Um, enough from Duke's perspective, Daniel, because that's not our job. Uh, we got a great site that does that within the 24-7 Sports Network. But if this deal does go down, and we're recording right now early afternoon on Thursday, um, you don't have to look far for a candidate, at, at least. Uh, Anthony Poindexter was the interim defensive coordinator for Penn State leading up to the Outback Bowl uh, during December of 2021. Of course, during that time period, you had Manny Diaz you know, bouncing around, observing, taking his own notes, having his own conversations. He was hired away uh, or he was hired uh, you know, off the unemployment line there in early December and he took over in January. We're seeing that take shape in the offensive coordinator room right now. When you look at this position, though, for Anthony Poindexter, he's a guy that clearly has a lot of respect from the coaching staff, from the from the roster on down, um, we we watched uh, Mark Brennan's footage of him uh, greeting all the players at Ford Field after the win over Michigan State in Detroit, and and literally one by one, he's hugging every single one of these players. He's got the juice. He has some play calling experience at a different level of the game again uh, with UConn back in the day. We know James Franklin was a head coach of the, of the defense. This is a guy very nearly became head coach of his alma mater a couple of years ago uh, down at West, uh, down at University of Virginia before they went in a different direction. And they pissed off a lot of people by doing that down there in Charlottesville. What do you think about Anthony Poindexter and maybe the case that is to be made before Penn State really assesses those uh, external options? And let's be honest, if we're finding out that Manny Diaz is, is maybe heading to Duke here on Thursday morning, James Franklin has had a plan for a while, and he knew that Manny Diaz was going to be a hot commodity coming off of this season. I think Anthony Poindexter is the, the logical continuity candidate. He's been around for a while. He's got extensive background. Um, it, it seems like he's on the same page as James Franklin, that they're operating on the same wavelength. Um, and he's seen how James Franklin has kind of built this defense, you know, personnel-wise. He worked under Brent Pry for a year, under Manny Diaz for two years, and we know that James Franklin has talked about on the defensive side of the ball in terms of looking for an, a defensive coordinator is that he wants someone who isn't going to have to completely overhaul the scheme, isn't going to have to completely change out the personnel. Um, and so I think if you look at kind of the, the structure that's already there, Anthony Poindexter knows that um, and he should be able to operate inside of it. Um, and I think that he, I think you're right, that he definitely has the respect of the players inside the room, and definitely has a connection. We've seen the job that he's done developing uh, players these past couple of years. You know, we saw Jalen Reed and KJ Winston really take big steps forward. Um, I think both of those guys credited Manny Diaz for a lot of that, um, but they also had a lot of praise for Anthony Poindexter. So I, I think that he's someone inside the building already um, that I think would be a pretty appealing candidate um, and, and can maybe kind of keep this thing going a little bit. Um, there is kind of that unknown and in, in terms of turning over the, the entire room to him. But I think that when you look at it, you laid it out really nicely. James Franklin wants a head coach of the defense. This is someone who has had the opportunity and been in contention for a head coach role previously. Um, and so that's kind of how he's looked at in the industry. So um, I, I think that when you look at it from that perspective, um, I think that he makes a lot of sense beyond that. All right, let's just try to keep keep the train rolling. Let's just try to keep the continuity. 
may not be uh, apparent to a lot of people, but Anthony Poindexter also carries the co-defensive coordinator label for this Penn State team. Just like we saw uh, Jaywan Sider carrying the co-offensive coordinator label uh, and Ty Howell because, you know, you get some perks involved with those titles as well. But with Poindexter, obviously this guy who's intimately involved in game planning with Manny Diaz the last couple of years. Uh, you go back to, to the Outback Bowl, a month of preparation there, although not an enviable situation because many of his starting defenders were opting out uh, along the way. So that was a really tough uh, kind of spot for him to try to go out there and, and, and coordinate a defense. But uh, well, years at, at UConn as a defensive coordinator at Purdue, highly involved in game planning with the play calling. Uh, and so I think when you look at his ability here, um, it, it's going to come down to the continuity is, is outstanding. There's not going to be skeletons in the closet that you're worried about hiring a guy and then you get to know him and you say, uh-oh. We we're learning new things about this guy. What we made the we brought the wrong guy into the building. You're way past that point with Anthony Poindexter. They 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 have really embraced him and vice versa. What I wonder though is James Franklin is always measuring his team and his and his university's willingness uh, to compete at the highest level. And he's always you know considering the Ohio States, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Michigans of the world, because that's where Penn State's expectations are. And James Franklin has repeatedly told us that you've got to do the other things that match up with those teams if you want to match up with them in terms of win totals and college football playoff appearances. And they were able to get that done with the offensive coordinator spot. Uh, Andy Kotelnicki, in case you missed it, he was named 24-7 Sports Offensive Coordinator of the Year for what he accomplished at Kansas, and that's with a standout quarterback going down for the season early on. And in fact, that's a big part of why he was awarded that because of what he was able to accomplish the rest of the way. But this is a guy that we said the Sharks were circling him as Kansas's season came to a close. Penn State emerges as the biggest shark of them all, and now he is part of your process here at Penn State. The question becomes, Daniel, does James Franklin want to go for another home run? Does he want to look past the maybe more the, the the obvious maybe more comfortable situation in front of him in his team facility uh by you know locking up somebody who is coveted out there and and there's a few names and I promise that if, if this thing goes final with Manny Diaz we'll have a board of, of of candidates and names to know out there at lines247.com there are a few here in the Big 10 that come to mind even but Daniel this is a I guess a, a question that really only James Franklin can answer because Pat Kraft, I think is going to play off his lead here. Does he want to swing for the fences again? And what would that move require? Definitely. I, I think that with everything we know about James Franklin is that he wants to take those big swings and not just for the sake of taking those big swings, you have to take those big swings to really get the quality um, that, that you're looking for. I mean, you, you mentioned Ohio state, um, and I think about a couple years ago where they make a change at defensive coordinator and they go get Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. Um, you know, I think that was a move that really kind of stuck out to me at the time and really showed how serious uh, the Buckeyes were being about being contenders um, and everything like that. So I, I think that with James Franklin, uh, we know he's got a, a list of candidates somewhere um, and, and we know that he's had guys in mind for a while. Um, and I think that he's also shown a kind of a, an ability to take big swings while also being off the beaten path a little bit. I think after they fired Mike Yersich, I don't think a lot of people around Penn State uh, in our sphere really knew that much about Andy Kotelnicki. Um, when Penn State hired Manny Diaz a couple years ago, that was one that just sort of popped up a little bit because of the circumstances surrounding it. So uh, I think that James Franklin is is always looking 
at the different avenues to keep Penn State among the most competitive teams. Um, I think that that's in terms of you know, the quality of coach uh, and the ability to compensate that coach. Um, and I think that he really does cast a wide net um, with a lot of these searches. I, I think that we, you know, he's willing to look around inside the building. I think that he's talked a lot about the strength of his staff um, and it, and how he has been able to keep the staff together, develop these coaches. And I think that he really, really enjoys working with them at the same time. I think that he kind of knows that sometimes you have to take a leap. Sometimes you got to look outside um, and then that can really help. So I'm curious to see you know, when and if this goes final, how this, this search sort of shakes out, because you can always say that, you know, one plus one equals two, you can kind of move these pieces around and it works. Um, but I think that James Franklin has also shown that he's going to think outside the box a little bit, and he's going to be looking in kind of every nook and cranny to potentially find who he thinks is the right guy. America's number one tight end recruit awaits us and Luke Reynolds. We're going to get to him in just a minute, but just a few things to note here as we wrap up the conversation on Diaz and, and this coaching situation, the staff situation, um, as we addressed when you're going to bring out next, bring in an external name like they did with Andy Kotelnicki, when you've got two guys who you may view as auditioning for the job internally with Jay Wan Sider and, and, and Ty Howell, we talked about you know, making sure the personalities and making sure you don't disrupt what is seems to be a very uh, a staff that is filled with camaraderie, a staff that is really on the same page. It seems like a good move on the offensive side of the football. But as we addressed Anthony Poindexter being maybe a really solid candidate here, if you do go beyond team facilities, bring someone else, then then you just wonder, you know, you got to make sure that Anthony Poindexter is still good with this situation. And you've also got to acknowledge if Anthony Poindexter is your next defensive coordinator, well, then you've got a, a need for a linebackers coach. You've got a couple guys on campus working with linebackers. Dan Connor, it's an inter interesting one because of what he's accomplished through his playing career. I know a lot of Penn State fans would be interested in that one. And then Stacey Collins, special teams coordinator, but he's also the outside linebackers coach. We've seen him working alongside Manny Diaz every single practice session with those linebackers. So just a few things there, along with the timing. James Franklin has said how important it was to, to get Manny Diaz here in December couple of years ago, how important it is to get Andy Kotelnicki here in December this year because you can get a head start before January comes and college football rosters change quickly, staffs change quickly. So we'll find out about the timing aspect of this as well. Full coverage coming your way at lines247.com. Daniel, appreciate the perspective and uh, we'll be standing by for whatever happens next with Manny Diaz and Penn State. Thanks for having me, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is their 
to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From our five-star on the Lions 24-7 staff to a five-star in the recruiting class for the Nittany Lions, there is Luke Reynolds back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. How you doing, Luke? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we've been trying to line this one up. We, we were reacting to the Manny Diaz situation right now. Uh, we weren't expecting to do that on the podcast, but tis the season for, for you know breaking news and all that different kind of stuff. We'll talk about your encounter with the new coordinator in just a second and the coordinator change, but... Let's start with your senior season. Uh, you know, big time effort from you. I, I'd love to hear it uh, out of your mouth, though, Luke. What, what were you able to accomplish this fall on the field? Uh, you went in with a lot of fanfare. What did you get done individually? Uh, I think I performed my you know, capabilities. I think I executed them on a lot of opportunities. Um, just made the most of being on the field with some of my teammates. You know, senior season, had to leave it all out there. I ended up playing both sides of the ball, uh, really come out of the game, which I had no issue. Um, it was a really good season overall. Yeah, defense, that was a kind of a step forward for you this year, right? What, what was your role on that side of the ball? Uh, I was playing a little bit of free safety, but uh, with injuries and guys not being able to play, I played a little bit outside linebacker and corner as well. So kind of just being moved all over. And and that's at about, what, 6'4 six, 6'5", six, 220 range still? Yep, correct. That's a big safety. That's an interesting safety right there. <laughs> uh, but let's let's talk about you as a tight end, Luke. And, and I would yeah, check the stats with you before we came on to the show. But during your senior season, 48 catches, 74 yards, 754 yards and eight touchdowns. I believe that's fewer than 10 total games as well. What do you think you were able to do as a pass target, as a pass catcher? Because I, we've addressed this on the podcast before. Maybe listeners forgot about it or they did not hear that interview. But your history was at quarterback. You know, going into last year even was at quarterback. What did you get done that gives you confidence at tight end this year? Uh, I was just getting really a feel for the game. Uh, in the first year playing strictly tight end, not playing quarterback, kind of learned how to manage it from my new position. Uh, coach Mello, my head coach, had me playing inside, outside. Uh, had some snaps in the backfield too. So just getting a feel from the game, uh, moving on from a quarterback to a, to a tight end. But um i think just getting those in-game reps was really important just because i've been working really hard in the off season and in practice trying to perfect my craft so being able to go out in the game and uh perform what i've been practicing with was very helpful just to see how everything translates 
Is the tight end position more complicated than you initially imagined, especially as you look ahead to what's next at Penn State? We know that they call upon their guys to do so much, but even at the high school level, as you've, as you've, as you've gotten more uh, accustomed to this position, is there more involved there than what meets the eye? 100%. I think it's a, a very undervalued or overlooked position. Uh, it's kind of got to have to know everything uh, from the line to the, the receivers that you're running routes with, uh, running backs coming down and where you need to block. So it's a very technical position that, um, you know, I'm happy to be playing. And it's it's fun being a, a new tight end because I get to discover more to the position as I continue to grow and develop. Back in October, you were elevated to five-star status on our site, uh, now the number one tight end in the country by 24-7 sports perspective. And look, Penn State has had a lot of big-time tight ends come through and be productive and get picked in the NFL and then be productive there. But none of them were considered uh, a number one in the country kind of guy. And, and so I'm curious, what did that news mean to you? I think that was about halfway through your senior season. I'm sure you were trying to stay focused, but it had to make an impact at some point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, it just it was a reward for all my hard work. So kind of put the final stamp on it. Um, truly a dream come true. So so thankful for the opportunity. But gave me a little bit of extra motivation uh, for the last couple of games of the season. When you made that move to tight end and, and fully dedicated yourself to it in, in 2022, I imagine you figured you had a significant ceiling in there that could take you places in college and, and maybe get you opportunities at a place like Penn State. But to get to this point, here, finishing your senior season up as the number one player at the position in America. I mean, there, there's there's hundreds of guys that are going to get scholarships to play Division One football at tight end in this 2024 class. What does that kind of an evaluation, considering the short timeline that is, it's occurred on, mean to you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's super meaningful because I would never have thought this is the route that I would have taken for normal college recruitment and college path, but everything happens for a reason, so – um, seeing all the success kind of correspond with the hard work was was nice to see that I was being rewarded for that. Um, but I also know that I'm in a really, really high position. A lot of kids dream of being in the position that I'm in. So I don't take it for granted. Um, still working, working extra hard, making sure that I'm making the most of my opportunities and not getting content. You were also featured on on 24-7 Sports Freaks list for the 2024 class, and, and they spotlighted uh, some of your abilities to, to do things in the in the weight room or away from the football field that obviously you're going to translate to the football field, but just signify you're a little bit of a different cat as a specimen at tight end. What are some of the things you're most proud of that you've been able to do in some of those testing? And can you share some of those best numbers uh, with us here on the podcast? Yeah, over the over the summer and camp season, I had good forty times, and uh, I was pretty proud of my vert jumps. I remember at the uh, regional camp for Elite Eleven at State College, uh, I had a thirty-eight, I think, uh, vertical. Um, and then when I was at a Penn State for camp at the end of August, I ran a four-five-nine, forty-yard dash. So um, those those are pretty good accomplishments. You mentioned the camp that you came to in the summer. I remember you watching very, uh, watching you work very closely with Ty Howell. Um, I don't know if people picture like uh, these camps for tight ends. It's not a lot of passes being thrown your way. It's a lot of technical coaching. It's a lot of uh, blocking fundamentals, and eventually you get some one-on-one -on -one work. But what did you learn, not just through that process, you know, being on Penn State's practice field, but more specifically being under the tutelage of Ty Howell and the other members of the Penn State staff? Yeah, well, first things first, uh, you know, he worked. He definitely worked us hard. So uh, it was a good workout, but he made sure that everyone was okay with what we were working on, make sure everything was clear. Um, it was really involved with the development and all the technical pieces of it, making sure everyone was successful. So he's a great coach, and I'm looking forward to developing under him. 
And speaking of that coaching staff, obviously Ty Howell has a bit of an elevated role right now as the interim co-offensive coordinator following the dismissal of Mike Yersich. Uh, how was that news, I guess, delivered to you as a recruit? Uh, this is going to be different than, than how a lot of people are going to hear news of an offensive coordinator change. How were you kind of informed uh, about Mike Yersich uh, being dismissed? Uh, I had seen it over social media. And then once I saw uh, a post, I texted Coach Howell just asked me if the new, uh, news was true. He immediately called me up. He walked me through the decision that was uh, being made um, and the steps that they were going to take moving forward. So just solidifying that everything was still going to be okay, that they weren't going to miss a beat. And, you know, they closed out the season really strong. So definitely did what he said. Dude, is there any sense that that sharks smell blood in the water in the college football recruiting world? Did you have anyone kind of popping up in your phone or in your DMs that that was like, okay, this is, you know, this, they're reaching out because Mike Yersich got dumped and they think I'm maybe afraid about Penn State. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, first things first, like there wasn't any of that concern. No, I'm confident in Coach Franklin and his ability to take the program to the next level. But um, yeah, it was it was definitely shocking. But um, the coaches handled it well with the recruits. Um, and there's was, there was definitely some coaches, some old coaches that recruited me before I uh, had committed that were reaching out, seeing if everything was OK, if I was so happy with my decision. But um, I appreciate them reaching out for the concern. But uh, I, I definitely told them I was happy in Happy Valley. A couple weeks later, you, you learn the identity of the next offensive coordinator, the guy who's going to be you know, play calling when you get to campus, and that's Andy Kotelnicki. I just talked about him being the 24-7 sports offensive coordinator of the year for what he did this season at Kansas. I know you're probably on a crash course of trying to figure out who this guy is and what his offense is all about, but what are some highlights for you at this point? And have you had a chance to speak with Andy Kotelnicki to this point? Yeah, I've seen a lot of great things from him. Uh, I know he's a uh, creative guy, has a lot of great concepts, utilizes uh, his playmakers. So that's always always good to hear. Uh, he, we hopped on a FaceTime call over the weekend, so it was good to be face-to-face in a way, uh, talk through his decision, how the transition's been for him and his family, uh, where he plans to go with the program. So confident in his ability. He seems like a great coach, very knowledgeable. So I'm excited to see what he does. How did James Franklin manage that for you? Maybe the, the, those couple of weeks. He's got a lot on his on his uh, table right now. I understand that with with December and college football. But it, how much is he kind of making sure that you guys are being informed? Not necessarily on who he's interviewing and when he's interviewing them, but so you guys aren't learning things through the media first. Yeah, definitely. When we heard the news uh, and before prior to talking with Coach, um, you know, my dad and my family and I were discussing it, and then. It kind of worked out. It was pretty convenient. The home visit ended up being uh, a couple of days later. So we were able to talk to Coach himself uh, personally and ask him his thoughts and why he made the decision, uh, what he likes in, in Coach like that and stuff like that. So uh, it was good to hear from him, and it was good reassurance from my family and I. Now, who came through for the home visit along with Coach Franklin, and, and what was on the, the table? Was it a dinner situation? <laughs> it was a little bit of both. It came uh, came around 4.30, so – uh, kind of like that that middle zone between a late lunch and a dinner. So we kind of just had a bunch of everything. But uh, Coach Al Cam, Coach Stacey Collins, and Coach Dion Barnes. So it was good to have them all in the house. And and you'll be paying a visit to them in about a month, and you'll be staying put for a while as an early enrollee. As as it really kind of set in for you, are you, you digesting the fact that the countdown clock is really ticking at this point? Yeah, I think I didn't really realize it at first, but now that I'm re- realizing that my high school career is, is slowly ending, only got a week and a half left of classes. And then we go on break, and then I don't go back. I just head head to the state college in a couple of weeks later. So it's definitely hitting me now, but I'm excited for it. I'm really eager. Now you're living out of out of state at Cheshire Academy. So what is what do those couple of weeks look like between finishing up at Cheshire and then actually making the move for enrollment? 
yeah, so basically just packing up everything in my room, keeping it stored away until we got to go load the car and drive back down uh, to Happy Valley. But it's going to be a quick turnaround with the uh, All-American game that I'm playing in San Antonio. That's playing on the 6th. And then I get to Penn State the 7th, start classes and everything the 8th. So uh, it's going to be a quick turnaround. Spoke with uh, with Andrew Rapier around the same time last year, and he was preparing for his enrollment as a freshman. He was also a highly rated prospect, and he also spent time at a, uh, you know, a live away prep situation. Uh, you know, finishing up his high school career where he was not under his parents' roof, couldn't really rely upon them on a daily basis. And he discussed how he felt like that was going to benefit him making a transition to college life. How do you feel that that this kind of situation, not just be, being a kid who gets on a school bus or drives five minutes to your school and come home every day, how does it kind of set you up for what January, February, March might look like? It'll make the transition a lot easier, definitely, just from uh, being able to manage time on my own, live on my own, uh, and not have the support from my parents all the time. It just teaches you, you know, good qualities that I'll be able to bring with me to, to Penn State. Uh, and I think it will help me not, not miss a beat. Uh, I've kind of already experienced the, the homesickness. So I'll be able to get past that and manage it more than I think some of my uh, other recruits that I'm coming in with. But we're looking forward to helping them adjust because I've already been through it a couple of times. Any idea on your roommate situation? Uh, not yet. It hasn't came out yet. But. It can be pretty important, man. It can, it can be a pretty important situation. Well, we wish you luck on that. But in terms of, of overall freshman class, you're going to have a lot of friends making that move in January. Uh, more than half of this class is expected to show up and be involved in winter, can, winter workouts and then eventually spring practice. What do you think collectively that such a large group of early enrollees can do for the 2024 Penn State football team? Yeah, it shows that everyone uh, wants to get there early and get to work. So um, we're going to build a great culture. Um everyone buy in early, get some work in, and everyone develop a little bit before the first year actually starts. So uh, I think it's going to be good. We're going to bring a lot of energy to the, to the class. I'm sure you're excited to get to work with Ethan Grunkemeyer. Uh, got a chance to see you two uh, working together a bit in State College during the Elite 11 and then out at the Elite 11 finals in California. Got a lot of reps together. Um, I guess a twofold question here. How much did those past experience maybe set you guys up to hit the ground running together a little bit? And then with Grunkemeyer, how relieved or excited were you that the offensive coordinator change and the quarterback's coach change didn't impact his status with this class? Definitely. I think uh, being in State College and then out in Los Angeles for the uh, the Elite 11, uh, we were able to build some trust. You know, I think he found confidence in throwing me the ball, knew that I was a reliable receiver. Uh, I knew that he was going to be a reliable quarterback and put on the money, protect me and throw an accurate ball on time. So just getting the chemistry down was super important. Uh, and seeing that he was stable after all the changes, uh, checked in on him, making sure he was good. Um, just good, good to have stability, obviously, with college football and the coaches. Uh, coaching job not being as stable, it's good to have the, the commitments as one uh, and show that everyone's still locked in. So I'm excited to, to get to work with them. That was a big showcase for you at the Elite 11. I think you turned a lot of heads there, even though you weren't a quarterback. And at the All-American uh, Bowl down in San Antonio, that's always kind of the final showcase for, for, for top prospects to put it all out there against the best of their peers. I mean, let's let's put it out there. You're going to be sharing the practice field with the highest level of competition and, 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 and classmates or whatever you want, teammates uh, that you ever have down there for, for about a week, uh, for a few several days. What do you want to gain from that? Because that's maybe kind of your last launch pad towards Happy Valley. Yeah, I mean, I just want to have fun with it. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But being around great competition, great other players, I'm looking forward to learning from uh, the people that I'm around. Um, and I think it's going to be some good competition to see how I stack up. And I'm looking forward to rising to the occasion and showcasing my abilities. 
And then from, you know, that being your, your next game up to, you know, who knows when your next game of parents will be, uh, you know, next fall. What do you want? What do you feel like the most important things for you to accomplish between January and let's say September to put yourself in a realistic situation to contribute on the field for Penn State in the offensive plan, you know, as a freshman? I think just studying the playbook as much as possible and being willing, will, uh, being open to change and willing to work, um, staying at it in the weight room, in the classroom, uh, show that the coaches can trust me to go out there and make plays. Um, but I think development is a, is a big thing, just kind of get my body and my mind right before I go out there and play. Physically, what does that development kind of project for you at, at around 220 pounds now, you know, just, just right around six, four and a half, six foot five? What have you kind of talked about with, with the with the strength and conditioning aspect of Penn State about maybe where they want to see you progressing in year one? Yeah, I think they got they got some high hopes for for adding some weight, obviously, and I'm open to to expanding my body and developing it. So uh, we're going to see when we get there, run the tests, see how my body's reacting to a certain workout and, and just go from there. What was your overall assessment of, of what you saw from the tight end position for Penn State? You know, they had some inconsistencies on offense this year, but it felt like a reliable portion was that tight end room. 15 total touchdowns uh, that led all of college football. I'm sure you're smiling about that. But what, what did you overall kind of take away from, from this body of work? I'm, I'm, I'm sure you were focused in on tight ends every, every time you could be. 100%. I mean, yeah, like you said about leading the FBS in touchdowns, like nothing better than that. You want to go out there and score touchdowns, make plays for your guys. So. Uh, I'm sure that they were happy, uh, Tyler and Theo, um, on on how their seasons went. But obviously, with the up and downs, uh, you just got to control the controllables. So, um, seeing them go out there and give it their all every every week and showing a, a good st uh, stability in the offense was nice to see. And in the last few weeks since the change at offensive coordinator against Michigan State, we saw the offense produce as much explosives as we had really all season. Drew Aller put together his finest performance since week one, it seemed. And and now they have an opportunity against Ole Miss to go out there and, and, and continue building that momentum. This is almost your team now. This is almost your offense. What are you hoping to see here uh, in the bowl game to build off what we saw back on Black Friday? Yeah, just keep the momentum going. Uh, capitalize on the opportunities and just manage the game. Drew has, a, has really good composure and, and game sense, so he's been a, been doing a good job of that over the season. So just managing the game and getting that win. And uh, non-football here, what, what are your plans at Penn State? Uh, aside from showing up and what you have to do you know, for James Franklin and the coaching staff and your teammates, academically, socially, uh, otherwise, what are you trying to do here in Happy Valley? Yeah, I definitely want to get a, a degree. Um, school is obviously just as important as football, so I want to make sure I – maximize opportunities both in the classroom and on the football field. And I'm always curious because it changes every year and it's more important every year, it seems. You're a five-star recruit. You're the number one guy at your position in the country. I'm not asking you for details here, but how much has the NIL conversation been presented to you in terms of what maybe awaits you in terms of opportunities and really what's going to be on options for you as a freshman? Yeah, I think uh, that'll be more discussed when I get there uh, and start contributing to the team. Um, you know, it's never really been about the NIL, uh, you know, money and all the signing stuff that comes along with it. Um, just looking forward to making a, a difference in the program and hopefully I'll be re rewarded down the line. So it's fair to say that the sense you get is something that we've heard in the past where Penn State is not going out and telling high school seniors, come here and get paid. It's come here and produce and then we'll see what we can do for you. Yeah, they definitely do it the right way. 
I appreciate that perspective. Any final word here on your 2024 class and what you guys are hoping to bring to the culture of Penn State as our listeners await to, to get that chance to see you maybe in the spring game next year, but they're not going to get a chance to hear from you or see a lot of the freshman class for a little bit. So just handing the mic over to you right now. Awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah, just super eager to get with my guys again, um, get in the weight room, get on the field, start building that connection um, and just bring great energy, like I said earlier. Making sure everyone's working hard, everyone's buying into the program. Um, Got to give the fans what they want, man. So even if they don't hear from us, just know that we're working, we're, we're bettering ourselves, and we're developing. Luke Reynolds out of Cheshire Academy in Connecticut, the number one tight end prospect in 24-7 sports rankings for the 2024 class and soon to be a member of the 2024 Nittany Lions football team. Luke, enjoy the rest of this time with your family, with your friends. I uh, hope you have a great time at the All-America experience, and then appreciate we'll it. see you around campus very soon. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Good stuff from Luke Reynolds, who we've had a couple times here on the podcast, and uh, really, really curious to see what his Nittany Lions career looks like, beginning with that January arrival. That's a tight end room that we're still waiting to see what happens with Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren, considering the seasons that they just produced, and each of them in year four on this campus. You could understand why the NFL would be in temptation for either of them. To this point, haven't heard anything about them leaning one way or the other, but even if those guys are, are not available for this team. You talk about Khalil Dinkins really asserted himself as the number three tight end this year. Not that he was called upon in high volumes, but he's a guy who has been steady and that extended to the practice field. And then you've got Andrew Rapley, a very compelling top 24-7 prospect who came to campus last year along with Joey Schleifer, uh, who was another freshman working his way up physically. So some things to monitor there. Jerry Cross, I should not not mention him. He is a redshirt sophomore heading into next year. So a lot of names are tight end, but it's hard to ignore when you're going to add the number one prospect at the position in just a matter of a month. So uh, appreciate Luke. Appreciate Daniel Gallon before him breaking down uh, what's happening with Manny Diaz and that Duke situation. We will keep tabs on that over at lines247.com. And as I said at the top of the show, that promised transfer portal discussion, it will take place with a bonus episode on Friday. We got Tyler Calvaruso. We've got new names to break down on the offer list. And we've got a lot of storylines to sort through when it comes to Penn State and its adventures in the transfer portal. So stay with us for that. Appreciate everyone for joining us for this episode. We'll be back soon with another Lions 24-7 podcast. Until then, I'm Tyler Donahue stepping aside.